Good to see everybody tonight. Glad you're here. Going to take some time to pray and ask God's blessing on our gathering and hear what He has to say to us tonight. So let's pray. Father, thank You for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. We thank You that where we gather in Your name, You are right there, right here in our midst. And so, Jesus, we welcome You to our midst and we ask that You would empower this time you would bring understanding. I pray a depth of knowledge to be revealed. During this time, I ask God that you be glorified. I pray you lead, you guide, that we'd have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying tonight. So, Father, uh, just, I just pray, God, for revelation. I pray for understanding. I pray, God, that we would be open to some new ideas tonight. We might be open to some different ways of thinking or some different ways of seeing things. And I ask you, God, that you would challenge and that there would be change. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Luke chapter 13. Luke 13. If you need a Bible, uh, they're located on the tables. You feel free to use that Bible on the table or... One of your own or an electronic version. But you can always feel free to take a paper Bible. We obtain Bibles to give away. Luke chapter 13. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study. And that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E. Dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message. And we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. And I need a volunteer that will read Luke 13, verses 29 and 30. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. All right. Thank you for reading that. Now, what we're going to look at tonight, and I'd like to challenge you toward is being able to see what the kingdom of God looks like. Not what you think it should be like, but what it actually looks like. Because what the kingdom of God actually looks like may be a bit different than what you think it should look like. And I would dare say that might be true of Jesus, too. Uh, If you do any in-depth study about Jesus and really examine his life and examine some of the things he did and some of the things that he said... You might be surprised that he might not be that guy that you think he should be, and he might surprise you as to actually how he revealed himself. 
Now, one thing about the Bible is, and one of the things I appreciate about the Bible is that it shows, and different people that are in the Bible, it shows them in whatever light they actually lived in. In other words, uh, David, one of the great, the greatest kings, uh, he was the greatest king in the history of Israel. Uh, he had a, a massive moral failure uh, during his time as king. And so instead of covering up that, it is highlighted, actually, not only through the narrative of history, the historical portion of the book, but also his response in Psalms is also highlighted. And so you have a detailed story about one of the heroes of Israel. And David is one of the heroes of Israel. But you have a detailed story about a massive failure on his part. And then a detailed accounting of his response to that massive failure. All right. Think about Abraham. Abraham's important person in the history of Israel. You see things traced back to both these men. You see things traced back to David. You see things traced back to Abraham. Abraham is an important person in, in the history of Israel. And yet he also had some pretty massive failings during his lifetime. Uh, times where he was willing to put his wife in danger, for example, willing to lie about who she was, willing to farm her out to a ruler in order to protect himself and put her in a position where she was sexually farmed out to a leader. Uh, that's Abraham. But they didn't hide that. It wasn't something you, you, they skipped over. I mean, somebody could have edited that out, I'm sure. And, and a lot of history is written that way, where things are edited out that, that people don't want them to hear. But the Bible's not written like that. There are all kinds of things in the Bible that you look at them and you think, yeah, well, I guess if I was the editor, maybe I wouldn't have put that in. But those are really important parts of the story, really important parts of who people are, really important parts of their journey, important parts of their growth, important parts of how God redeemed those situations, how God dealt with them. Uh, they show us God's grace. They show us God's mercy. They show us a, a God who's patient. They show us a God who that we can understand. And they show us a people that we can understand because they failed or they messed up or they didn't do the right thing in the moment or they made a mistake or however you want to look at what happened to them. They, they shows us real people. And, and so unlike a lot of history books and a lot of accounts, uh, that you read, the Bible is very honest about the people that are part of it and very honest about their successes, but very honest about the failures too. And so when you look at Jesus, it's important to see Jesus in the light that he's actually presented, that there are certain things about Jesus that if he were to do those things today, people and I'm talking about massive amounts of people, Christians, would reject him. Uh, and I've often heard this said, if Jesus showed up to the average church today, would he be welcome? And that's a valid question. Because you think about his lifestyle when he was ministering. You know, look at that three and a half years or so when he's traveling around with his disciples and they're living off the land. Well, that's a nice way of saying that they're Homeless, right. 
and and they're, they're going about their business and and all these things and and these are this is a guy that was rejected by the religious leadership. This is a guy that was completely and utterly rejected by the people that were in charge. He was rejected by the secular leadership. He was rejected by just about anybody that had any power, any prestige, any money that were in their society. And so you look at that and it's like, all right, so here's a guy that was not popular among certain groups of people. Well, who really liked him? All the poor people. Who really liked him? People that had nothing. People that needed hope, the people that were looking for someone like him. And so he was popular among them, but not so popular among other people that in our society and, and probably in, in the way that we look at what success is, he would not have been considered successful by us. And so that's just the reality of it. I'm not accusing anyone. I'm not accusing any any group of people of anything. I'm just saying if you look at it for what it is, it, it becomes clear that he didn't really meet the standard that people have set. Uh, you think about standards that people have for even <clears throat> humans like pastors or, or people in charge, uh, church people that are in charge of stuff. You look at those kind of a standards. Well, he didn't meet those. Well, why, how can you say that, Andy? Well, he hung out with the wrong people, right? He was hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners. Why He was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. Those are realities. People with a certain amount of authority and a certain amount of credibility accused him of being a drunkard and being a glutton. Am I saying he was? I'm not saying that. I'm saying he was accused by people with authority and credibility as being a drunkard and a glutton. And you start going down a list of, of how he presented himself, and you go down a list of who he was. Born in a manger? Start from the beginning. Born in a manger? I mean, what kind of beginning is that? Here's a guy that his own family thought he was crazy. The people that knew him best in the whole world, his family, meaning his brothers, his sisters, his mom, they all thought he was nuts. How do you know that? Because they showed up to one of his meetings and they tried to gather him in because they believed that he had lost his mind. And they were trying to gather him in in order to protect him from himself. And so you've got the testimony of the people that knew him best who thought he was crazy. You've got the testimony of people that had credibility, religious leaders, people you can trust, supposedly, that said he was a drunkard and it was a glutton. And everybody knew that he hung out with the wrong people, with tax collectors and sinners. Everybody knew that. And I know when I talk like this, people get irritated. I know that. I try to control it. You know, I don't try to, all right, I don't want to talk like this. Well, sometimes you have to. Uh, if those of you that have ever read the book The Jesus Style by Gail Irwin, he goes to lengths in order for us to understand that Jesus is a human being. Lengths. But I've had more than one intern that have read that book that got completely irritated by it because it looked at the humanity of Jesus. And for some reason, people don't want to see the humanity of Jesus, especially people that were brought up in religious circles. They don't want to see that. They don't want to know that. They don't want to understand that part of him. 
Just like what I'm talking about tonight. People don't want to hear that. Why? Because you judge people like that. And chances are, if Jesus showed up now, and Jesus showed up and did the things that he did back then, there'd be a whole bunch of people judging him for what he was doing and for how he lived. He was in the wrong places, at the wrong time, with the wrong people. Well, you need to get your priorities straight, young man. Well, he did have his priorities straight. We need to get ourselves straight. Because... We need to put ourselves in a position, Jesus, teach me. Teach me who to be. And it's not maybe that person you were told to be by whatever the people were that told you to be that way. Could be religious leaders, could be anybody, I don't know. All I'm telling you is, is that if you're really going to pray and you say, Jesus, would you teach me who to be? You might be surprised what comes out the other side of that. Just might. So what does the kingdom of God look like? Well, let's start with Jesus. So you got to start with Jesus to really understand it's his kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom. And so the kingdom of God is in many ways reflective of him. It's reflective of his values. It's reflective of his life. It's reflective of who he is. They, people began to call themselves Christians in Antioch. And the reason they called themselves Christians were because they were modeling their lives to be Christ-like. So in other words, they want to be like him. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means to be like him. I mean, you think about a guy who you've got um, a guy that's, he can't speak, right? And, and you got Jesus who would put saliva on his finger and touch that on the guy's tongue. Do you think that's disgusting? Well, maybe it is. He did it. How about taking his saliva, make, getting some mud on it, and putting it on somebody's eyes, putting it on their face, saying be healed of blindness. that kind of disgusting? Well, maybe it is. He did it. You want to hear that? All right, so there's all these things. I remember reading stories um, early on in my Christianity. There was a guy um, that, and there was a number of evangelists over the years that I, I read just story after story after story after story. A lot of these evangelists were around, some of them at the turn of the, the 20th century and others mid-20th century, and that they would do weird stuff. Well, what do I mean by weird stuff? Oh, I don't know. Weird stuff. Uh, things that, uh, like they would punch people that were sick. Alright? And people would get healed. Or, uh, a good, good example is this guy Smith Wigglesworth, who a baby, they brought him a baby who was dead. And, and it would, the baby had just died. And they asked him, can, can you pray for the baby? Took the baby, kicked it across the stage. Baby came to life. Now, we're going to do that with every baby we meet? No. I'm not even suggesting that. Am I going to punch everybody I see? No. But I, I'm not in a position to look at somebody like that and say, well, he shouldn't do that. Because when the blind see and the deaf hear, and the mute can speak, and the dead come to life, I don't really have much to say about that. 
I stopped. And and so here was a guy that God used over and over and over and over again over a period of years. There's another guy that, uh, interestingly, that he used to travel in this area. And uh, specifically, I heard stories about him down in Binghamton. And he was just some guy that traveled as an evangelist, and he would show up in an old pickup truck. And he'd bring his brother with him. And so he was doing meetings, and I've heard firsthand meetings at First Assembly of God down in Binghamton and some other places where he'd just show up with his brother and he'd be in his pickup truck. And he'd go up on stage and he would have people come up and he'd just lay hands on them and they'd be healed. Okay, that sounds all right, right? Except for the guy was just a drunkard, the evangelist. It was A.A. Allen. And he was just a drunkard. And so his brother was there to hold him up and hold his hand out and people would touch his hand and be healed. Am I suggesting everybody should be a drunkard and that's how God's going to do it? No. No. But I also know and I have first, and I, and I spoke to people that saw this guy firsthand that people were healed of diseases and infirmities. By touching his hand. Even when he was in that state. And I know what I'm telling you is messing with you. Alright? If you have these kind of sensibilities. And the only reason I'm saying these things is that we have to begin to relax. Because the kingdom of God is made up. Made up of such as these. We don't want to hear that. But it is. It is. I could probably sit here and tell you stories about me that would really mess with your sensibilities. But I'm not going to. All I'm going to say is is that God is going to use the people that He's going to use and He's going to use them the way He wants to use them. If they're willing. If they're willing. So what does the kingdom of God look like? The kingdom of God is worldwide. In this passage of scripture, it talks about it's just filled with a fellowship of people from around the world. They come from what directions, according to this passage? The north and... Alright, there are no other directions, really. I mean, those are the big ones. Cardinal ones, okay? So, so with the... It's like everywhere. That's what I was trying to say. They come from everywhere. And so when people come from everywhere, what do you know about every nation? They come from different cultures. Oh, they don't do things the way we do. Right. Oh, they come from different languages. They don't speak the way we do. That's correct. That's correct. And, I, you know, it's funny. One of the first um, mission trips I ever took I'll just tell the story real quick. I took a mission trip. We went to Belgium. You know, Western Europe, Belgium. And so we're in Belgium and we're doing evangelistic services at a church. And as part of our evangelistic services, we had a pantomime team. And, and then we also had music, a musical component. And then I would speak at the services. <clears throat> 
And so this is one of those churches, kind of Western European things, where they don't ever see any new people come to church or anything. So we were going out and into the squares. We were in this place in Namur, Belgium. And we were going out in the squares, and we were just doing our pantomime and doing our, our music, and, and it would draw people. And so we had people that were from there that would help out most of the time. They would help out and would tell them, okay, this is where we're at. This is we're going to be tonight, all this other stuff. Cool. And, and so we began to see God moving, and over the time that we were there, we saw some uh, pretty good fruit that God was bringing people in. Well, so toward the end of our time there, the pastor graciously offered to take us uh, somewhere so we could go swimming and have a day off, because we'd been there for a bunch of days. And, and so we went to this place, it was like a beach. It wasn't a beach like on the ocean, but it was a beach somewhere like in a... A lake or something like that. I can't remember. And but one of the things that we noticed when we got there that they weren't like us, you know, over here, because the women over there were sunbathing without tops on, right, right. And so there were a couple people on the team. They got super upset about that. Mainly the females. It wasn't really the guys that got upset about that. Just saying. <laughs> Mainly the females. And, and so they got really upset about it. And they went to the pastor. And they were just going up one side of this poor guy and down the other. How can you let this happen? How can you bring us to this place? I can't believe we're in this place. Stuff like that. You know, how do you call yourself a Christian? All this stuff like that, right? And and it just struck me, I heard about it later, but it struck me, it's like, we're not in our country. We're not among our people. We're among a different people with a different culture, with a different language. I mean, it's true, it's the gospel, and we're sharing the gospel, but who are we to judge any of that? It was like crazy. And yet as I've traveled and I've taken people and... And I learned from that, I learned a lesson to monitor people a lot more closely, especially when things like that happen. But as I've gone places and I've experienced more of the world and we've seen more of the world, it's evident that not everybody does things the way we do. Not everybody is going to go about their business the way that we do in our culture. And that's okay. Because there's certain things that just don't matter. Certain things that aren't important. Certain things that have nothing to do with anything that we're trying to do with the gospel. And, and so, and so that was a, kind of a, the beginnings of those kind of important lessons that what's the kingdom of God look like? The whole world. Man, the whole world is in the kingdom of God. As people come to know Jesus, as people find themselves in relationship with Christ and they enter into the reign and rule of God in their lives, they come into that. There's practices in West Africa. You look at some of those practices and there are things that we don't do. All right. But who are we? Who are we to say, you can't do that? Because we don't do that in our culture. And, and the examples of all of those kind of things are, are, are kind of interesting to me because they point to a bias, they point to a prejudice, they point to something that we would never, ever, ever claim to have. 
But it was something that the people in Jesus' day had, that prejudice, that, that judgment. And that's what was important that he was telling all of these people. He's telling them, he's like, King of God, you're going to be people from the north, the south, the east, and the west. I mean, there's going to be people like you and there's going to be people not like you. There's going to be people that speak the same language as you. There's people that don't speak the same language. There's going to be people of your culture and there's going to be people that aren't of your culture. And more specifically, what he was saying here was that, hey, hey, all you people here in Israel, all you people that he was called to reach, all those people that he was ministering to, all those people who were speaking truth in their lives, hey, Gentiles are going to be part of the kingdom. They didn't like that. Because to them, their prejudice told them that these Gentile people were dogs. Literally, that's what they called them. And so because their prejudice was so strong, Jesus saying something like this. I mean, you look at Paul later on when he was uh, sharing his story before the council and sharing his story in court and sharing his story to anybody that would listen during those years that he was locked away. He would bring up this part about how the gospel was being presented to and he was an apostle and preaching the way of salvation to the Gentiles. And every time he'd say something like that, people would just riot because it irritated them so much. It grated against them and it grated against what they believed and it grated against what they thought and it grated against just these biases and these prejudices that had been in them from childhood. Irked them. It irked them. And it's wanted to kill him even more. And I suggest that we got our own prejudices. Because you look at something like that, it's like, wow, we're not like that. Well, no matter where you come from, no matter where you come from, no matter where you come from, there's prejudice. I mean, you know, you talk to the Chinese, and I, I got some good Chinese friends. But you talk to people from mainland China, yeah, that's the middle kingdom. What they believe about it? They believe they're the center of the earth, center of the universe. All right? And that's their whole perspective. I mean, in fact, you look, go, go somewhere else in the world and take a look at a world map if you ever see one on a wall. I mean, seriously. Go to Europe and look at a world map. Guess what's in the middle of the world map in Europe? Because if you look at ours, all right, you see that one there? See that world map right there? See, where do you think that, what's in the middle of that one? And Europe. Okay. Now, most world maps that you see in the United States, guess what's in the middle? Yeah, the United States is, and then they divide Asia. I don't know if you ever noticed that. They'll have, they'll have like China, and they'll have like the Soviet Union or whatever, they have Europe, and then the Soviet, or Russia over here, and then you go to the other side of the map, and there's, there's the rest of Russia over here with all of Asia and China. We'll divide the world, we'll divide a continent in half to make sure we're in the middle of the map. Alright? If you go to China, guess who's in the middle of the map? Yeah, all right. So, I'm not trying to accuse anything or anybody of anything. I just say it. It's kind of how it goes. I remember the first time I saw a map like that, I laughed. Because I just looked at it, I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I was at a guy's house in, we were in, um, I think Senegal. 
and, and he had marked out certain things on the map, and I saw this map, and I looked at it, I'm like, that is awesome. That's awesome. See, we have Africa in the middle, so you don't have to divide the world up. We have Africa in the middle because we spend a lot of time in Africa. We have Africa in the middle because that's kind of like it, right? And you can see the whole world like that. Everybody's got their biases. Everybody's got, you know, that then, now, here, there, I don't care where. And so I'm not accusing, just saying this way it is. Understanding that, however, we as God's people need to understand that the kingdom is bigger than that. And it's got to be bigger than that in your life. The kingdom has got to be bigger than that in your life. The kingdom is worldwide, filled with a fellowship of people from every nation, Gentiles, everybody, everybody. Even if they're aggravating, right? You got you people are aggravating to you, they're in the kingdom. Somebody's in the kingdom. They're representing. All right, that's just the way it is, and and it says it says you they they will rejoice and they will recline at the banquet. Let's look at some verses. Ephesians three six. Somebody look at that. Ephesians three six. Awesome. So one group of people that Paul was reaching with the gospel were the Gentiles. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. That was good news to them. They love that. But then there's the other side of it that he would travel from city to city. He would first go to the, the synagogues and present the gospel there. And they didn't like that at all. But it's the truth. It's the truth. Somebody look at Luke 22 and verse 30. Let's say you don't have any biases that way, supposedly. Let's let's look at this one. Luke 22 and verse 30. Somebody. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. All right. Read back a little bit. Okay, so understanding that this is something that is now. Now. This is not something that's coming. This isn't something that one day, it's now. And so we need to live in it now. We need to live in this moment, in this place, in this kingdom, in this rule and reign, in what God is doing here and now. This is it. This is it. So we each have our place there. And, and the Bible says that we need to take our place in this passage. you got to take your place. All right, so in other words, we're not just milling around the kingdom. you got to take your place. You follow what I'm saying? It's like musical chairs. Take your place. We're not missing a chair. Just take your place. That's all. It's time to sit down. Music stop. Sit down. Find your place. And find a place of, what did I say before? Reclining at the banquet and rejoicing. 
You need to take your place. You don't need to worry if you have a place. You have a place. You need to worry if there's something for you to do. There's something for you to do. And you don't need to worry about the other person's place. Right? And this is an important part of this. You know, they want to know, like, are a lot of people going to be saved? They had all these questions for him. He's like, no, nah, you know what? Think about you. And you need to take your place. Why don't you take your place in the kingdom and let's see how this all works together. Kind of the idea of my role versus your role. Why worry about it? My job versus your job. My treatment versus your treatment. Why are you worried about it? You have a place. You have a role. You have a job. And you need to take your place in the kingdom. Jesus went to lengths to teach his people that our ideas of fairness and justice are harmful. And we want to put those on God. I know you do, but that's just not how it works. And, and for us to look at the kingdom of God and try to put a paradigm on that, try to put some kind of a framework on that, that an understanding on that where it's going to meet whatever our standards are of fairness and justice and things like that, this is not the case. It's just not the case. And so if we're trying to do that, we're going to be disappointed. If we're trying to do that, we're going to be frustrated. If we're trying to do that, we're going to be upset. If we're trying to do that, we're going to be bitter. If we're trying to do that, we're going to miss out on what God has. Because the reality of it is, you have a place, take your place. You have a role, take your role. You have a job, do your job. Going about this whole idea of what's fair and what's unfair. I mean, I use this all the time, and I've just talked about this recently, but that guy on the cross, that thief, that malefactor on the cross, that wasn't fair, right? I mean, there's a guy, I mean, how long was he a believer? Like 10 minutes? He's going to be with Jesus in paradise? We're slugging it out for 75, 80 years down here? Seriously? I mean, seriously, the guy's dying on a cross. He has a malefactor. He's a, he's a criminal. And he, he expresses some faith in Jesus. And Jesus is like, all right, well, you'll be with me today in paradise. How's that fair? He took his place. <clears throat> he took his place. And he did his job. What was his job? To proclaim Jesus on that cross that day. And Jesus is like, well, you'll be with me in paradise today. Well, what's my job? Well, I'm going to slug it out for a few more years, I guess. Going to go about things that God has for me to do. And at the end of all that, I'll be with him in paradise. What's your job? Well, you get a hold of your job. And you need to do your job. What's your role? You need to get a hold of your role. And, and be that. You need to take your place in the kingdom. As I take my place, as he takes his place, as she takes her place that we take our place in the kingdom and we go about the work that God's given us to do. The rest is just stupid. Because you're trying to figure something out that ain't yours to figure out. The rest is just fruitless because you're trying to, you're investing energy into something that's not for you to have any say in whatsoever. Why bother? Why bother getting bitter over something that is outside of 
whatever it is that you think you're supposed to do. Because, I mean, he takes the outcast. Well, they don't belong there. Says who? Right. Not you. I mean, he takes the unwanted. Nobody wants them. Well, Jesus does. Who are you to say? I mean, nobody like he, he perfect example of that is one of his disciples. Nobody liked tax collectors. You couldn't find anybody that liked tax collectors. Even other tax collectors didn't like tax collectors. Nobody liked tax collectors. In their day and age, these people were complete and utter outcasts by themselves. That was it. They lived on their greed and that was all there was to it. Nobody liked these guys. So who's Jesus pick as one of his disciples? A tax collector. Guess what was guaranteed as soon as he picked a tax collector with the other disciples? Yeah, they're going to hate his guts. Why? Everybody hates them. They're unwanted. They are unwanted. They are the outcasts of their society. And they chose to be the outcasts of their society. As soon as Jesus picks one, what are you going to do? Part of the kingdom. The unwanted are part of the kingdom. The outcasts are part of the kingdom. You've got to lay that bias down. And I'm so worried about what he's doing. You know what I need to do? I need to take up my role. I need to find my seat. And I need to go about my job in the kingdom. And let's work to see it through. There's a phrase in this passage... Some of your Bibles will say, Behold, and some of your Bibles will say, Take note. My Bible said, Take note. And what that means, uh, if you look at it, it means, uh, strange as it may seem to you, strange as it may seem to you, that's what that means. We do not see things as God sees them. We do not see things as God sees them, especially with people. Because he makes this statement. He says, you know, people that are least now will be the greatest in the kingdom. And people that are greatest now will be least in the kingdom. I mean, that's completely wrong. You, you understand that's completely wrong? So, so he's looking at it. He's like, now take note of this. Or as strange as it may seem, you got it completely wrong. You do not see things as God sees them, especially when it comes to people. We're really bad at that. Most of us are really, really bad at seeing people like God sees them. Because we look at the wrong things, we consider the wrong things, we get offended by the wrong things, we get upset about the wrong things. They just tweak us the wrong way, whatever it is. But we can't see it. You need to take note of that. As strange as it may seem, you may be missing something when it comes to the kingdom and those people around you. And as soon as you can accept that, you might be wrong about that. As strange as it may seem, you can relax. Because you might just need to relax about stuff. And so our perceptions will be I'm not saying might be. Our percep your perception, my perceptions will be turned upside down. That's what's happening. And the kingdom of God will do that.
That's where we're going to see it. So we look at Matthew 21, 39. Matthew 21, 39. That's Matthew 21, 39. I got a wrong reference if it is. Try Luke twenty one thirty nine. All right. No. All right. So the passage that I was trying to write down, and somebody can find it while I'm talking. The passage involves Jesus speaking to and, and really addressing religious leaders. The people that, that everybody in their society looked up to and said, okay, these are the guys that are closest to God. These are the guys that definitely hear from God. These are the guys that are examples to us. Whether they be Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, whatever they were, they were the ones that their lives have been dedicated to God their lives had, had just been, you know, just that, they, they represented the pinnacle of spiritual life. And Jesus, looking at them, he said, you know, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God in front of you. And that is such a bold statement to a bunch of people that saw themselves a certain way. But not only was it a statement to the people that saw themselves that way, that was a statement to everybody that saw them that way. They had all the right religious clothes on. They had all the right sayings. They, they knew all the right people. They did all the right things in people's eyes. I mean, they represented the pinnacle of spiritual life. And here's Jesus looking at them and saying, yeah, well, tax collectors, who I already said, everybody hates them. And prostitutes, not exactly the top of the spiritual ladder, right? Are entering the kingdom of God before you do. Matthew twenty-one thirty-one. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's a statement being made there that you got it messed up. You got it messed up. And, and, and you're wrong in your perceptions and you're wrong in the way that you see things. That the way we're seeing people is being turned upside down by the kingdom of God. Just turned upside down. And the real question on that is are we will allow that to take place? Will we allow that to take place? Back when I was actively placing people into ministry, uh, this was just a part of what I was running at the time. There were times, and no one in this room is in this category, but there were times where I put people into ministry that anyone looking from the outside, like I'd put them in charge of a campus ministry, but people, anyone looking from the outside would say I was absolutely out of my mind. 
Because sometimes they look like the biggest losers I could possibly pick. Or they look like the most unqualified people. Or they look like people that had no skills in that area. They couldn't speak in front of people. They couldn't lead worship. They, they, they didn't have a lot of good teaching skills or anything. They just weren't. They, they looked like they wouldn't be qualified whatsoever to run a campus ministry, especially on a big university center like Stony Brook or somewhere like that. And yet, those are the people that, as I would put them into whatever position it was, campus pastor or whatever they were going to be running over there, that in the kingdom and in the kingdom economy, they were awesome. But I can't explain that, except for God sees things differently than I do, and that you do, and that we do. And if I sat here and I said, that I was putting these guys into ministry, and it wasn't just one. There was a number of people I did like that. And I was completely 100% confident that that was the right move. I'd be lying to you because I wasn't. But I really believe that's what God told me. And so I was just following in obedience and doing what He told me to do with those people and putting them there. And I'll tell you, there's alternate examples of that where, like the other side of it, where I thought I had really super talented, awesome people, and I was totally confident putting them into ministry, and they were... Terrible. Ended up doing more harm than good. So who knows? I mean, who can figure all that out? Well, God can. And so our part in that is taking a hold of Him, taking a hold of how He sees things, taking a hold of how He does things, taking a hold of how He orchestrates and brings things to pass and finding ourselves in the midst of that. It's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do, to trust. But that's what this is, is trust. It's a hard thing to do to learn the kingdom ways. But that's what this is, is learning God's kingdom and His ways, which are different than our ways. And so this is just one example when it comes to people, where His kingdom and His kingdom values differ from the world that we live in. They differ from maybe what we were told growing up. They differ from the way that we see things, the way we understand things. And it's on you and it's on me to begin to allow for renewing of our minds and let God teach us. What does the kingdom look like? It looks like this. And let Him teach us what the kingdom of God looks like. Let Him teach us what success in the kingdom looks like. Let Him teach us what it looks like to excel in the kingdom. Let Him teach us what a good worker looks like in the kingdom. Let Him teach us our part and our place and our role. You know, we might be surprised who you see in heaven. You might be surprised. And you know what you might equally be surprised at? Who you don't see in heaven. Right, And I have no idea what either one of those things means. I'm just saying, you might be surprised. I might be surprised who we see and who we don't see. You see, God's judgment reverses our judgment. His judgment reverses our judgment. And like I said, you think about late arrivals to the kingdom... Like the thief on the cross? 
His judgment reversed the judgment of who? Everybody. Everybody. The guy's a malefactor. He's a criminal. He's being crucified for his crimes. That's everybody's judgment. That guy deserves to die. God's judgment nullified and reversed that. And that day he was with Jesus in paradise. God's judgment will nullify and reverse our judgment in people's lives. Thank God. And the reason I say thank God is because there, there are those that never thought I would ever do anything, but God's judgment reversed that. And there were those that thought some of you in here would never do anything for the kingdom, but God's judgment has reversed that. And so we thank Him for that. I thank Him for that. You thank Him for that. So I encourage it that we have to allow for this. And I, I'm taking the time to talk about this. I'm taking the time to go through this because I, this is a this Bible study is for leaders. Okay, that's why it exists. It's uh it took the place of me traveling from kinship to kinship to be able to speak to you every week. And as leaders, you, you need to realize that you've got people in your kinships that nobody else on the face of the earth thinks they're ever going to do anything. That doesn't mean that's God's opinion. And you need to understand that. You need to look at what the people that you are pouring into, you need to look at the people that you are spending time with, you need to look at the people that you are investing in. Make sure you and God are on the same page. Because it takes a lot of effort to invest in the people. Why waste it? Why waste it? I'm going to take a few moments and I want to encourage you to just open your heart and see, maybe there's some things that God just needs to change. Attitudes, judgments, prejudices, biases. I mean, we all have them. And I know God wants to change those in us. But maybe tonight is one of those nights where it's just really obvious right there. And you're looking at it and you're like, that needs to change. That needs to change. And I just want to pray for you as you take hold of some of those things that need to change. For that freedom and that liberty and that release in your spirit, in your mind, and in your heart. So it can change. So Father, I thank you that the kingdom is worldwide. I thank you that you have drawn from every direction, every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue. You've drawn every culture. And I thank you, God, that you continue to draw. That your kingdom is huge. It's big. It's big. And it's a big, big, big house full of people. And there's enough room for everybody. Pray, God, that we would never limit your grace and your mercy. We never limit, God, what you're doing in the world that we live in. 
But I prayed that we would find our place, our seat, that we would recline, that we would rejoice, that we would learn and know our role, our purpose, and our job. Let's pray peace. Pray rest to our hearts. Pray especially for those among us that just strive. Strive, 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 strive. That's why I pray rest to their hearts. Rest to their spirits in Jesus' name. I pray for those among us that you've really shown us something that needs to change. I pray release of that thing in the spirit. Release of those things in their spirit and their heart. And I pray cleansing in Jesus' name. I pray you begin to set people free from uh, biases that were put into them as children. I pray you begin to set people free from biases that were put into them through wherever it is they came from. Biases that were put into them through things that people had said, or things that people had done. And I just pray just an open heart and an open spirit to really live in the freedom of your reign and your rule, the real freedom of the kingdom. I pray that we find grace, mercy, and life. Life and more life. Thank you for each one in this room. Thank you for those who are listening. Thank you for your call on them. And thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy over their lives. I pray that we just continue to respond to you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for all in this together. We give you honor. We give you praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's be by saying amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.